A lawsuit has been filed in the Northwestern University hazing scandal against former football coach Pat Fitzgerald, trustees, and administrators. And I'll talk with Crane's John Pletz about the latest from United Airlines and the Pilots Union. You, you, you go from worrying about keeping everybody on the payroll and keeping, you know, basically keeping the lights on to, you know, 40% raises over four years. That's, that's significant, you know, I think by, uh, by anybody's measure. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, July 19th. Secure your business accounts and start earning more with a WinTrust MaxSafe account. With MaxSafe, you get up to 15 times the standard FDIC personal protection. That's right, 15 times the protection with the liability to secure up to $3.75 million per account holder. Now that's banking as it should be. Call 833-MAX-SAFE to talk with a local WinTrust banker today. That's 833-MAX-SAFE. Peace of mind is just a phone call away. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC. See FDIC.gov for deposit insurance coverage rules. I'm joined by Cranes reporter John Pletz here to talk about Chicago-based United Airlines. We haven't checked in about United for a bit. So recently, the airline and the pilots union worked out a tentative deal after what felt like quite a bit of tension. I know there were some billboards put up by the pilots union and things like that. Um, What can you tell me about this deal that they have reached for now? Well, I'm sure they're breathing a sigh of relief. You know, this deal they thought they had done more than a year ago. You know, United was the first of the major carriers, all of whom, you know, were in negotiations with, with their pilots for their first contracts, basically post COVID. And, you know, United thought they, they had a deal. It was a two-year deal and they thought it was ready to go. Everybody was happy. It was going to get signed. It was last May. And then American sort of hinted, Hey, we might give our pilots a slightly better deal. And so, you know, that deal was, um, for United was about to go to a vote and that was, you know, 15% over like two years. And, you know, that got scrapped. And so um, then American, you know, sort of was negotiating its deal that set the bar. And then Delta, um, you know, kind of trumped everybody with, I think they ended up with a 34% raise over four years. So, you know, the United Pilots thought they had a deal done. The company and the pilots thought they had a deal done. And then other people did deals. So back to the bargaining table. And, you know, that goes on for, you know, basically a year. Uh, They also had a change in union leadership in the middle of all that, which kind of complicates things. So, you know, it it took them a while to sort of get to the finish line. Um, And then they, you know, suddenly they got there. But yeah, things were getting a little rocky for a while. Um, People thought they had a deal and then it just kept dragging on and people were kind of getting grumbly. Uh, And, you know, United has made a real effort to try and improve um, labor relations across the board, whether that's, you know, pilots or, you know, flight attendants or ramp workers, gate agents, whatever. Uh, and they thought, you know, they they really had things, you know, sort of cruising along really well. And, you know, it's been, it's been a little bumpy um, the last few months. Things were getting a little tense, but, you know, at the end of the day, they got, they got where they needed to get. They got a deal done um, at a time they really needed to get one done. And so does the new deal put them on par with with American and Delta pilots or does it beat them? Where do they land? 
well, it puts them a little bit ahead because that's, you know, the only way you're going to get done. So the bar got reset to, you know, it's, it's up to 40% um, over four years, you know, so that's obviously a little better than Delta. Delta has, um, I believe has a clause in its contract where those, you know, their, their pay will adjust to match. And, and, you know, that's not an uncommon thing. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's a little like it's it's not quite the same as the auto industry with pattern bargaining, but it's it's similar. American, however, oddly enough, uh, they were just putting their contract to a vote when you know suddenly um, you know United pops up with. I think Americans was uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty five percent or so. And then, you know, United Steel pops up and suddenly, you know, the bar gets moved and, you know, Americans pilots are like, well, maybe we need to rethink that proposal. You know, and the irony is, of course, it was, you know, Americans um, proposal a year ago that kind of blew up things for for United. So, yeah, like it, it's, you know, never, never no, no, uh, no good deed goes unpunished, I guess. Right. It seems like this uh, kind of. Uh... Pilots union one-upmanship thing happening right now. <laughs> like, wait a minute, you're getting that much? I want that much. Hang on, wait. And it's just going to keep going up. Yeah, none of this happens in a vacuum. You know, it just doesn't. And, you know, meanwhile, uh, the Southwest pilots are still without a contract and, and they're they're getting a little uh, anxious about that. They, you know, they want to get a deal done. So, yeah, it's the irony of it is, you know, two years ago, uh, you know, a little more than two years, three years ago, um, you know, the worst of the pandemic, you know, the, the airlines, you know, needed billions of dollars from the federal government just to keep people on payrolls when no one was flying. I mean, you know, that's about as bleak as it looks, you know, and suddenly, you know, a year and a half later, everybody gets back on planes. Um, you know, people want to go on vacation. Airfares have, you know, gone up significantly and all of a sudden, you know, the, the airlines are just, you know, rocking and rolling. And so that's the environment, you know, not to mention, uh, you know, inflation that nobody has seen in 20 years uh, is also lurking in the background, um, you know, and all, all of a sudden, you know, you're talking, you, you, you go from worrying about keeping everybody on the payroll and keeping, you know, basically keeping the lights on to, you know, 40% raises over four years. That's, that's significant, you know, I think by, uh, by anybody's measure. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's been a whirlwind for sure. Definitely. And then talk to me about routes. I know there was uh, some, some discussion about changing up some routes in, uh, around Newark and pulling back there to deal with some, uh, you know, cancellations and some congestion there. Where, uh, where does United stand with all that and with rerouting things? I mean, it's worth sort of thinking about, we are in the, you know, peak travel season, right? Which is one of the reasons United wanted to get this deal done. It's why America wants to get its deal done, right? You know, you're at the busiest time of the year. You want happy pilots. And, you know, it, it has not been a smooth ramp up from the pandemic. You know, you've had, you had a lot of retirements. Um, you know, they haven't gotten as many new aircraft as they wanted, um, which is which has created a problem. And, and he basically, you know, went from zero to 60 very quickly. And that's been bumpy. Well, that, that you know, and that leads us to Newark, right? Um, that's one of United's biggest hubs. It's very congested. The staffing problem that all of the airlines have, and that's created headaches. And they've, you know, they actually have demand to fly more than they're flying. But last summer was a little, a little rocky, if you remember, for some airlines. Um, 
you know, and, and everybody kind of throttled back and said, we're going to build a little cushion into the system, even though we could, you know, we could theoretically, if, if, if we just booked it to the max, we'd make more money. Newark is particularly challenged. Um, you know, that's a tight airport anyway. It's, it's a, a major United hub, but uh, air traffic control also, you know, the FAA has also had some real staffing challenges. You know, they've had the same sort of dynamics. You know, you had people retire out. It's tough to find people, get people trained up quickly again. And that's really, um, really in sharp focus in, in Newark. And so, you know, right before uh, the 4th of July, United had some real challenges there. I mean, it just, you know, it, it just cascaded through the system. They had horrific storms. Uh, the FAA, um, you know, was, um, you know, sort of uh, reducing the number of flights in and out. That backs up across the system. It just, you know, I mean, United finally had um, some of the problems that Southwest and American had had, you know, over the previous year or so. And it was just, it was horrible. And, you know, uh, United kind of bit the bullet and said, well, we've already, they had already, the airlines that fly in and out of New York had already kind of drawn down their schedules a little bit preemptively to try and avoid some of this. United said, well, we're going to have to do more of that. Not happy about it, but we're going to do it. And it worked. You know, uh, this uh, this last weekend, which was another really tough weekend in New York area, like Chicago, you know, had some really tough storms move in. And, and that's bad for flying. And it worked, you know, United was canceling, you know, 20% or so of flights uh, during that, that horrible pre-4th of July period. That's, that's horrible. That's a lot of flights being canceled at Newark. Um, and over this last weekend, you know, another really bad weather, um, you know, uh, weather problems out there. And I think United was canceling, you know, roughly 6% of flights. So much, much less of a problem. You know, they did the things they needed to do. And it looks like they've sort of gotten it, gotten it back on track, not without, I'm sure, some cost to their operations, their profitability, you know, that, that uh, we'll, we'll find out in the coming months, you know, just uh, what the cost of, of uh, keeping things running smoothly was. But it looks like they got a handle on it. Do you have a sense of what exact strategies they, they did, like what lessons they learned from last summer to keep things running so smoothly this past weekend? Well, I mean, it just comes to, a lot of it comes down to surely the number of flights. Um, so I think there's, there was some of that. They also have done something that United and all of the other airlines have done over the last five years or so. Um, you know, if you notice that uh, winter storms tend to be a little, um, a little less awful than they used to be in terms of, you know, just sort of the widespread havoc they create. Uh, they, the airlines have gotten really good uh, about, looking at the forecasts and the forecasting obviously has gotten a, an awful lot better. And if they see something really bad coming, they start preemptively canceling your flight, offering you the option or canceling the flights, rebooking people. So they're starting that process before the storm even hits. It used to be a process that gets started after the storm came and went. And it, it, it really does help, you know, and that that's the issue with those storms is generally the problem isn't so much what happens, you know, when the thunder and lightning comes, it's how you recover after that. Okay. How do we get everybody back on, you know, back on the plane and where they're supposed to be going. And, you know, if, if, if the storm hits the wrong time and you got basically planes and people out of place, it just, 
you know, it just backs everything up. Your ability to to then get things moving again, uh, you know, is really limited. And they've just gotten really good at that. And and they they had some experience over the weekend with that that it really helped. That you know, they're 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 getting good at you know, sort of preemptively canceling, reconfiguring things, you know. Um, and so when, you know, when the weather passes, they spool up much more quickly. Mm, yeah, because that's what it seems like, you know, the the big headaches, the big kind of domino effect sort of things that we've seen. It's, it's at times when, you know, if you cancel a flight, there's just no place to put all those people because all the flights are just so packed. And when you're in that situation and things are so tight, that's when you see it just rippling out across airports everywhere. That is one other factor that, um, you know, we've always had weather problems, uh, particularly in the summer. That's that's not new. But as you're getting your operations back up to speed and, you know, both the airlines are getting their own operations, you know, sort of back up, back up to speed. Air traffic control, you know, they've, they've got some staffing issues at many places. Then you throw in the fact that the flights are really full because everybody wants to fly. There's huge demand, which is a great thing uh, on the revenue side for the airline. But from an operation standpoint, it complicates your life because the the ripple effect that's always been there is magnified. When every flight is 90% plus full, you have fewer places to put people from a canceled flight. You know, I mean, let alone when everything's getting canceled, but, you know, just you start getting cancellations, rebooking them on another flight gets really challenging. And of course, people get upset about that. And, you know, uh, that has that that has its own cost. So it's been a tricky time to uh, to run an airline. And so you're watching them, you know, sort of in real time navigating all the big issues that you have in running an airline. You get reminded of, you know, it's labor. It's your ability to deal with weather. And so it's staffing, it's scheduling, all of those things, you know, just sort of are right there front and center. And then while you're dealing with all that as leadership, there's always, you know, occasionally we'll see comment from uh, CEO Scott Kirby about sustainable aviation fuel or moving to a greener flying. And you, you kind of realize that that leadership has to kind of be of two minds. You have to keep the train on the tracks currently, but also be thinking of what's happening, you know, down the road and, and sustainable aviation fuel and, and a greener flying experience. That's a huge shift industry wide. I don't envy any airline CEO right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you've, you've got some long-term challenges that you, you have to keep focused on. Uh, you, you know, you do have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, but, you know, more immediately, most of them are um, bringing in a lot of new aircraft. You know, there's, there's just basically a time horizon to how long planes last. Right. So we're in one of those cycles, you know, American um, refleeted um, to a great deal, you know, sort of over the last five years, that's still ongoing. You know, Southwest has got a bunch of, you know, fairly new planes coming uh, as well. And United is in the middle of the biggest order in its history, you know, coming in over the next four or five years, which are, you know, uh, very closely tied to Scott Kirby's strategy for the airline, which is to grow, grow, grow. You know, that's more flying, more international flying for sure much more premium flying, which is, you know, people at the front of the plane, whether those are business travelers or, you know, uh, leisure travelers who are willing to pay for, um, you know, paying to fly up front have become more important than ever. 
well, new aircraft are a huge part of that. And so, you know, you're trying to get your operations back to where they need to be. You're dealing with the, you know, the here and now. And you've also got that coming down uh, the pike, which is not insignificant because it affects where you fly, what you fly, the prices you charge, you know, and uh, United hasn't been hit with this quite as hard as its, its peers about not being able to get those aircraft really have put some limitations on whatever your growth plans, your operations plans were. Uh, United has started to uh, just the other day mentioned that, yeah, it's, it's now becoming a factor. You got to remember that in the, in the middle of COVID, you also had, you know, Boeing was still in the throes of all of its challenges with both the 737 MAX getting, you know, essentially, um, you know, recertified by the FAA uh, to, you know, to fly again. And they've had some issues with the 787. And, you know, those were, you know, it backed up production for them a great deal. And the airlines, when, you know, when nobody was flying, it wasn't, you know, it was a theoretical exercise. But once people started flying again, it's like, man, I need those planes. Well, you know, there have been challenges with both Boeing and, and Airbus of not being able to sort of produce as many as quickly as they had hoped. So you get that thrown in there as well, you know. So there's a lot of plates spinning in the air right now if you're running an airline. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on in the aviation world. All right, well, I'm sure we will check in about it again soon, but thanks for swinging through today. Hey, glad to do it. Coming up, the Illinois Supreme Court rules that the Safety Act provision eliminating cash bail is constitutional. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Listeners of Crane's Daily Gist are invited to join good to great author Jim Collins for a one-day workshop in Chicago on October 17th at Navy Pier. This is a rare opportunity for CEOs and executive teams to spend a day with Jim Collins to understand the application of the good to great concepts and Jim's full body of work on what makes great companies tick. Limited places available. Go to growthfaculty.com to purchase tickets and learn more. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Crane's Brandon Dupre reported that the first lawsuit against Northwestern University and former head football coach Pat Fitzgerald related to its hazing scandal was filed Tuesday morning in Cook County's Circuit Court, according to a law firm. The player, identified only as John Doe, seeks damages stemming from the hazing scandal that has upended the campus and resulted in Fitzgerald's firing. The lawsuit, which you can read at chicagobusiness.com in full, alleges that Northwestern leadership, quote, endangered, enabled, and concealed the exploitation of student-athletes. Other defendants in the suit are University President Michael Schill, former President Morton Shapiro, the Board of Trustees and Athletic Director Derek Gragg. The suit alleges that Fitzgerald took part, quote, in the harassment, hazing, bullying, assault, and or abuse of athletes, with the complaint alleging, quote, from 2018 until 2022, members of the football team would watch as defendant Patrick Fitzgerald harassed, hazed, bullied, assaulted, and or abused athletes, including but not limited to plaintiff John Doe 1. The firm representing the plaintiff wrote in a press release that the lawsuit alleges, quote, that Fitzgerald knew, enabled, and encouraged this behavior and created a culture of abuse within the football program that carried over throughout the athletic department. The statement continued by saying, quote, we intend to hold the defendants, including Fitzgerald, accountable for the alleged actions and seek justice for victims of abuse, hazing, and discrimination. 
John Pletz reported that former Outcome Health executives Rishi Shah and Shraddha Agarwal are using a novel argument in asking a federal judge to throw out their April convictions on federal fraud charges or at least grant them a new trial. Shah and Agarwal, co-founders of Outcome Health, say that prosecutors seized more of their assets than they should have before trial, which left the two without enough money to hire the attorneys who were their first choices. Shah's attorney said in a filing on Friday that the improper forfeiture, quote, amounts to misconduct by the government that violated Mr. Shah's right to due process under the Fifth Amendment. The filing continued, quote, because it's not possible to restore Mr. Shah to the position he would have had prior to the violation of his constitutional rights, the appropriate remedy is for this court to dismiss the charges against Mr. Shah. It continued further by saying, quote, in the alternative, Mr. Shah requests that the court set aside his conviction and order a new trial at which he may support his defense using the funds and assets that the government has unlawfully restrained for the past three years. Agarwal's attorneys made a similar argument in a filing on Friday, which was the deadline for post-trial motions before sentencing. Pletz noted in reporting that Shah, Agarwal, and Brad Purdy were the top executives at Outcome Health, which sold advertising on TV and computer screens that were installed in doctor's offices to provide educational content. And as Pletz previously reported, the company took off in 2012 and soon reached $100 million in revenue. It raised more than $300 million from lenders and $488 million from investors like Goldman Sachs, Google's parent company, and a venture fund founded by Governor J.B. Pritzker. But the company was accused of overbilling pharmaceutical clients for millions of dollars in ads they didn't receive, which inflated the company's financials that were used to raise that money from lenders and investors. After Shah and Agarwal were indicted in 2019, prosecutors froze roughly $30 million that the co-founders received in a settlement with investors after fraud allegations were made against Outcome Health. Pletz noted that among those funds was over $10 million that Shah and Agarwal had put up to retain lawyers to represent them. They tried to get the money released, but prosecutors argued that it came from investors and lenders who were defrauded in the scheme for which Shah and Agarwal were indicted. U.S. District Judge Thomas Durkin sided with prosecutors. Shah had put up more than $7 million to hire one high-profile attorney, and Agarwal put up $3.8 million to hire another. Their defenses combined would have reportedly cost an estimated $14 to $15 million. The attorney that Shah originally wanted to hire said that he withdrew from the case because Shah didn't have the funds available to retain his services for the duration of the proceedings. Both argue that the improper forfeiture denied them the ability to hire the counsel they wanted and thus violated their rights. Shah, Agarwal, and Purdy made other arguments in seeking to have their convictions thrown out by the judge, mostly arguing that the jury shouldn't have reasonably convicted them based on the evidence. Find more reporting on this story and others at chicagobusiness.com. Crane's healthcare reporter Catherine Davis reported that Illinois' largest health insurer, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, is finally ready to start filling 300 jobs at a Pilsen customer service center that at least more than three years ago. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, one of five insurance plans owned by Chicago-based Healthcare Service Corporation, plans to initially hire up to 70 people for customer service positions with a focus on applicants who can speak both English and Spanish. That according to a statement. The insurance giant 
department will continue hiring over the coming months, Davis reported, and about 30 of the roles will be IT-focused. According to a Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois spokesperson who spoke with Cranes, about 40 people have been hired so far. 20 started this week, and another 20 are set to start in the week ahead. The spokesperson also told Cranes that the Pilsen Customer Service Center and hiring plans were first introduced in May of 2020, but were significantly delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Hiring resumed this summer as Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois enrolls more members and demand for customer service grows. Davis reported that the office occupies about 103,000 square feet at Pilsen's Mural Park development, where the company has a 10-year lease. And the Pilsen facility adds to Healthcare Service Corporation's headquarters at 300 East Randolph and several other Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois facilities in Chicago. Over the past four years, the insurer has opened other outposts, including wellness centers in Pullman, Morgan Park, and South Lawndale. Across Illinois, the insurance company employs about 13,000 people. Davis also noted that Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois is also hosting a job fair on August 10th as it seeks workers for the new Pilsen office. Crane's Marcus Gilmer reported that the Illinois Supreme Court on Tuesday morning ruled in favor of the controversial elimination of cash bail in the state, a provision in Governor J.B. Pritzker's sweeping Safety Act crime bill. The court ruled 5-2 in favor of implementing the provision, which had been on hold since late December of 2022. The Chief Justice, writing the majority opinion, wrote, quote, Our Constitution creates a balance between the individual rights of defendants and the individual rights of crime victims. The act's pretrial release provisions set forth procedures commensurate with that balance. According to the ruling, the elimination of cash bail will go into effect 60 days after Tuesday's opinion, making that September 18th. And the decision makes Illinois the first state in the U.S. to completely do away with cash bail. Other states like New York and New Jersey have passed legislation that eliminates cash bail, but only in some cases. In a statement, Governor Pritzker said of the ruling, quote, We can now move forward with historic reform to ensure pretrial detainment is determined by the danger an individual poses to the community instead of by their ability to pay their way out of jail. Gilmer also noted in reporting that earlier, a Kankakee County judge ruled that the cash bail provision violated the state's separation of powers. Because that ruling applied to only about two-thirds of the state's counties, the Illinois Supreme Court halted the cash bail provision so that it could review the challenge and apply a final decision across all counties in the state. Following the opinion's release, several lawmakers released statements on the ruling, including Illinois Senate President Don Harmon, who said that the court's decision, quote, culminates a long and challenging journey toward fundamental fairness in our legal system that would ensure the accused stay behind bars because they are dangerous, not because they lack dollars in their pockets. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter, John Pletz. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.